This is the Indesa Members Memo, a podcast of the National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association. Indesa is 100% member-owned and is your industry voice. This episode of the Indesa Members Memo is sponsored by Orisure Technologies. Orisure offers testing products for drugs of abuse and alcohol. The Intercept Oral Fluid Drug Test is the first and only FDA-cleared oral fluid laboratory-based drug test for the nine most requested drugs of abuse. Intercept is simple to use with an easy collection procedure and a collection time of only five minutes. While being the number one recognized brand in laboratory-based oral fluid testing since 2000, the specimen is collected on-site but is then sent to a lab for testing. Companies get the convenience and immediacy of oral fluid testing, but also solid and defensible lab results. You don't sacrifice the accuracy of reliability of your current testing program. You simply eliminate the need to collect urine. Indesa is proud to have Orisher as our first official sponsor of the Indesa Members Memo podcast. Thank you, Orisher. Check out their website at www.orisher.com. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Indesa Members Memo. My name is Joe McGuire, and I am the Executive Director for the National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association. And today I am being joined by Dean Wilson. Um, welcome, Dean. Hello. Hello. So glad to have you. Been looking forward to this interview for a long time. Now, Dean is a member of Indesa for a good while now. He's a regular participant on our town hall meetings, so you may have heard him share his expertise from time to time, which is always valuable insight. But uh, Dean, by way of introduction, he participates in the drug and alcohol testing industry in a couple of different ways. You have a couple of different business models going on. So rather than try to capture those myself, why don't I just let you tell us what you do? Uh, Well, I do as little as possible. I try (laughs) to stay out of the way of the staff, which we're all grateful for at the end of the day. Uh, More seriously, I am the president of a company called Applicant Information. Mm-hmm. We have been in business since 1979. I have been the uh, president and owner since 2004. Wow. And then we also have a, uh, another entity called Paperless Drug Testing, which is um, started off with some software tools mm-hmm. that were focused in on independent uh, drug uh, professionals. So we're, we're really trying to build out that stable, but the first product we have is a TPA management software platform. So, and that's applicant info. The, uh, that's paperless drug. Oh, testing. that's paperless drug testing. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, let's start with applicant info. I really want to talk about paperless drug testing because we get people asking us all the time, Uh, Mm -hmm. Like I'm new to the industry, I'm new to becoming a TPA or I want to be a TPA and they're looking for that good platform. But let's back up to applicant info since, I mean, has been around for years, almost the length of the industry itself. So that's Mm -hmm. um, some depth of of wisdom going on there with you and your team. Uh, First of all, tell us about that company and, and the services you provide and where are you located and that type of thing. 
Uh, we have two main operational centers currently. Uh, we have a location in Fort Smith, Arkansas, which is primarily focused on drug testing. And we have another location down in Pembroke Pines, uh, Florida, which is part of the greater Miami-Dade, Broward County area. Uh, that's primarily focused in on background screening for pre-employment tenant screening. Uh, that was uh, originally founded uh, back in 1979 by a um, retired IRS investigator. So he oh, wow. was one of the people that would show up uh, for tax scoundrels mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and prosecute them. And so they did uh, reports on typewriters. So. Oh, wow. So, oh my gosh. So this was back, he just... He retired, but did not want to leave the world of investigating things. That's <laughs> and, yeah. Okay, and and went into employee background investigations. That's great. I love it. So, um, applicant info does have a drug testing component then, primarily in Arkansas, and and in that regard. Now, um, where where in the context of of these two things that you do, because we're going to talk about paperless, but in the context of these two things, you offer. Um, some type of MRO services, correct? Yes. So the applicant information started off as your traditional pre-employment screening business with the TPA service. We eventually added our own MROs to that process. Uh, we have two on staff currently, and uh, we're you know a full-service TPA going from you know the owner-operator up to folks that have twelve thousand employees. Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing. So, and in that regard, you, you have kind of a little bit of a one-stop shop, so to speak, with your own in-house MROs. Um, your folks can sign up with you, your clients. Uh, MRO services are all right there. Now, is this in any way, do you also offer um, uh, occupational health services like uh, DOT physicals and that type of thing as well? Or is it just on the drug testing side? Uh, we used to have quite a, um, uh, a slice of business, I guess, doing um, pre-employment medical screening for defense contractors, mm. uh, which was its own entity, um, but that was kind of its own uh, unique ball wax. And thankfully that, that need has gone away. So those people were being deployed overseas to places that most people would not want to visit. Sure. And um, they were, you know, armed and they had to have complete uh, physicals and mental and, and dental checks and, and met labs and all that kind of stuff. So wow. things that people would, uh, employers would normally get sued over. They were, they were doing, you know, pregnancy checks, AIDS testing, cancer screening, because if somebody's, you know, in the, in the back country in Afghanistan or, or Iraq mm -hmm. and they have a tooth abscess, then right. it costs. $50,000 to fly them to Germany right. to have that wow, treated. Wow. Or, so, and you know, they had a lot of folks that were showing up that were ex-military that had um, uh, health conditions that were unknown to them. So when they mm. arrived and had quit their job and gotten rid of their apartment and sold their car and they arrived in country, all of a sudden they failed their health physical and they said, well, we don't have a job for you any longer. So we, we were really focused in on that. So to circle back to your original question about occupational medicine, we really don't focus in on that at this point. So Got you. Okay. Um, so now uh, let's move over to 
paperless drug testing. So what brought about the development? Because this was something you guys developed yourselves, correct? Yes. So uh, this, this is a platform for TPAs to use, and I'm going to have you explain that to me. Um, but why did, you, why did you get into that? You have a lot going on with drug testing and background checks and, um, and, and an MRO service. I mean, you've got a lot happening, and then you do a whole new thing. <laughs> we were on a software platform that was leased from a friend of me, I guess. Um, sir? So a industry competitor. And it had um, a lot of issues with it, at least in our mind. Um, and so in a uh, moment of genius or a moment of madness, we said, how difficult could this be <laughs> uh, to take all this on? Mm -hmm. And so it took about a year and a half of you know, a couple people full, essentially full time, just kind of mapping out all the needs of, you know, d you know, workflows and mm -hmm. reporting requirements and um, what to do in this kind of situation for pricing. Mm -hmm. And so we're about three and a half years into it. Uh, we had really intention, intended to develop it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then when COVID came along back in the um, April of what was it 2019 and we saw the world grinding to a halt we we're very much of how can we scrape by mm -hmm. um, and find any more revenue <laughs> that we sure. can at this moment sure. instead of letting people go sure. so that was the impetus for it and it was probably a, a year or two uh, early to be honest mm -hmm. and we kind of went in you know, very open about that to mm -hmm. the people that did sign up for it, mm -hmm. saying, hey, this is um, not as polished as we would like it to be. And mm -hmm. um, there's going to be some bumps along the road, but um, they have held with us and we've gotten quite a few of those things uh, ironed out over time, I guess. Beautiful. I'll, I'll tell you, um, I've been there, not in the development phase, but I was with a, a small TPA um, in my community that was franchising mm -hmm. and uh, she could not find the platform that she liked. So she went with something completely different, which was more like an intake platform for billing and, and inventory and that type of thing and had them create the whole entire drug testing platform um, as kind of a beta. And I really loved it, but I, I do know that um, when I went to the next company that I worked for, um, we, we were with an antiquated platform mm -hmm. and we went with someone who was new, not you guys, of course, this was years ago. Um, and, and one thing I found in our industry is that you can have some amazingly smart tech people who go, I'm going to make them the best platform they've ever had because we all have complaints about something that is missing or doesn't work right, mm -hmm. right? but helping those tech people to understand what it is we do and why is where, when it comes to rubber hitting the road, that can be the frustration, right? They, they'll build something and it, it's not quite what we need or it doesn't flow with the rules of 49 part 40 or it's missing this one element. And um, I mean, I remember being with a platform at one time between the 
two companies that I worked for over about 10 years, I think I've got experience with five or six different platforms. And um, at one point we were, uh, my second company was with a, like a new guy, came into the field and was like, I'm gonna change everything. This is gonna be the one everyone wants. We got to the end of the year with him, no MIS reporting. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I mean, we had, shoot, I wanna say 10,000 customers and we had to do MIS reports by hand that year. Oh, good Lord. And um, yeah, and it, I mean, just talk about everything stopped. The world stopped because we had to get those done. And um, I believe he has those now on his platform, but we were the guinea pigs <laughs> on that. So I know that that was a huge amount of work. So when people hear this podcast, um, if you've never walked through that before, the fact that you even did it in a year and a half is just insane. And <laughs> it, it, it speaks well. Now, so would you consider it now um, robust and fully functional? Or are you still in process? I suspect it's like having a boat. It's never yeah. quite done. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, things change, right? Things are yeah. changing in our industry. Yeah. So you um, get one component done and then there's something else. Yes, I would, you know, we, we, we eat our own dog food, as it were, we mm -hmm. run our own business off the platform, we have about uh, a dozen folks that are, are currently using it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, obviously, once you step out of your own little box of your business processes of how to do things, then other people uh, have input and have different circumstances or different pricing models that flexibility you have to build in, trying mm -hmm. to keep it simple at the same time, which is always the trick, I guess. Right. So, you know, it's, it's fairly robust. Is it ever done? No. Is it perfect? No. There are things that other platforms do better than ours. And there are things that we do better than other platforms. Mm -hmm. And that's just the, the, the nature of life. But, you know, I'm, uh, you know, our whole idea when we built this is, Let's build it with security in place first. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything's encrypted at rest. And in, in fact, we, things like social security numbers, we break those up into two separate parts and encrypt them in two different ways. So mm -hmm. people would have to um, be able to decrypt two different things and then match them up. Wow. Um, um, and so we just do that because frankly, we don't want our name in the paper for the right, wrong reason. Right, out of abundance of, of precaution. Yes. Now, and, paperless yeah. drug testing is a preferred provider with Indesa, and those who go to the Indesa website and uh, hover over the tab "Join Us," our preferred providers are there, and you have a member deal that all Indesa members will receive free transfer of up to six years worth of testing records into the TPA platform, and the pricing starts at five hundred dollars. That is amazing six years of data that is amazing and um i i think it's such a great deal and um it's been a an interesting year for us for promotions but we are getting ready to ramp up a huge um promo of our preferred providers uh mm -hmm. over the next 18 months and i am really excited for people to understand what this actually means because i think a lot of them um are not aware and, you know, one, one of the things we say is that everyone I talk to about anything that we're doing in our industry, they're like, put that on the front page of your website. We can't put them all there. <laughs> yeah. 
So how to highlight these things can be a challenge, but um, this is one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is to really pull this out and hear um, what you do so we could talk about that aspect. So what have you found are the greatest challenges, Dean, the things that just um, drive you crazy about our industry, whether it's on the applicant info side or the paperless drug testing side, where do you, what really gives you heartburn day after day? Paper. <laughs> just hate paper. Um, you know, paper chains has, as evidenced by the pain that we are all going through right now with the, um, the memo for record situation yes. at the various labs. <sighs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, the whole, uh, the, the whole situation around breath alcohol testing of not providing a, a resource to get that directly to the TPA. Mm -hmm. um, that's just kind of uh, a wonky type situation in that mm -hmm. rule. I understand mm -hmm. why they did it, but it causes a lot of heartburn for everybody mm -hmm. for MIS reporting and such. And mm -hmm. then um, some of the rules that are in place for um, just haven't been updated in 20, 30 years, you mm -hmm. know, with uh, electronic signatures, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. They, MROs are not allowed to electronically sign documents. Mm -hmm. So they're supposed to wet signature everything, which, you know, is not the reality of the situation, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, when you're, I mean, speaking of 10,000 drug tests a year or whatever have you, I mean, there's companies that have far, far more than that. And uh, so, yeah, it is it, it is really interesting. I, I was asking very recently about some updates that we are doing for non-DOT and I asked if there was any possibility under the sun whatsoever in any, you know, way, shape or form that we could implement that for federal. And the answer was no before I could get the please, please, please out of my mouth. I was like, nope, nope, that will not change. And, and here's why. And um, I, I think, though, one thing I do think is as difficult as the pandemic has been for us all. I do think it has caused the feds to think through some things and start to allow some things to catch up with the technology. It's kind of like a little tiny crack in the door. And um, so we will just have to continue to press forward with why things are more efficient. I think overall it's about proving that it's legally defensible, you know, at the end sure. of the day. But you're right, the memorandums for the record, oh my gosh everybody is struggling with this. So um, I want you to explain why it's such a pain because um, I, I don't think that's very clear to some folks. I, I had someone yesterday um, that said, you know, I heard from my lab again that they only accept their lab's form. I call the lab and the lab says that is not true, but the memo has to be correct. Um, so I, I mean, this is a push pull constantly. What say you? Um, well, I think there were some COVID related issues of having short staffing. You mm -hmm. know, people, labs are in the same boat as all the rest of us. They were short staffed. I think that some of their systems are not well adapted uh, for this periodic influx of uh, of a spike with the memo for record. It's okay when it's, things are out of temp or 
people forget to sign something and they need another request, but when they get literally five to 500 to a thousand of these a day, mm -hmm. they're managing it on a spreadsheet offline mm -hmm. and th they just can't handle it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully, you know, this is the second time in what, three, four years, mm -hmm. uh, hopefully that will prompt some change for the next time because there will be a next time, unfortunately. Yes, yes there will. And, um, you know, it, the, the laboratories we deal with, at least when there's a memo for the record or if they're waiting for a wet signature, we aren't told about it until we call, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so we've had to develop internal reports that say, hey, after, you know, 50 hours is the number mm -hmm. we picked, you know, mm -hmm. it should show up there. And this is one of the things that we should call the lab saying, where is it? Right. Why isn't it? It was collected on this date. Why hasn't it shown up in, in the sessioning at this point? Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately that report is very, very long. <laughs> it was, there was 170 when I uh, left for my honeymoon and there were 500 when I came back and I was like, Oh my Lord, I'm not that important. So something else went off <laughs> right, the rails. Right. Yes, exactly. Well, and also congratulations on your recent wedding. Oh, thank uh, you. So exciting. We didn't mention it up top because I didn't know if that was something that you wanted to dig into, but um, I know that you were recently married. So congrats. Yeah. Um, no, and you're right. And I, I hear this week after week is that there's not a lot of communication back and forth. The labs are frustrated with the fact that they can't get the MRFRO, I'm sorry, memorandum for the records, MFRs. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, without that communication, and then again, you hear, you hear on the other side that they cannot get a hold of collectors who are just, well, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's the TPA. You send it out and have someone else out there in the field collect for you, and then they just don't respond to an MFR. So, you know, and they, we will have another change when oral fluid comes for sure, because we will need the new chains with the stickers, um, mm -hmm. you know, for the oral fluid test. So yeah, we expect that in the next few years. And that'll be, you know, it, interestingly enough, when that change comes, um, uh, you know, that one will be a whole new day. Anybody engaging in oral fluid testing will have to make that switch. So that'll be a whole interesting <laughs> situation in and of itself. But uh, yeah, I, I, the, the paper side is tough, not to mention, you know, illegible printing and, you know, all mm -hmm. of those things. If, if everyone would, um, you know, consider electronic chain of custody forms, I'll tell you, it sure would be a help uh, to us. Why do you think people are reluctant to switch to those electronic chains? Uh, well, in speaking with people, um, you know, doing on-site collections, that is uh, quite a hassle because you have to bring a printer with you, mm -hmm. uh, at least under the current situations. And, um, you know, you have to have a, a live internet connection. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're in a big industrial factory with all kinds of electrical interference, that's tough at best. And mm -hmm. then, you know, slogging around a printer uh, mm -hmm. on top of everything else you're carrying is, is not very um, exciting. Mm -hmm. um, there are some um, folks that have had um, requirements. You, they have to do a certain number of tests mm -hmm. placed on them uh, from a couple different of the um, ECCF uh, providers, I guess. And then mm -hmm. there's, you know, the, the, a lot of what I'm hearing is that a lot of the ECCF is tied to the 
in-network remuneration from the different laboratories, the preferred mm -hmm. provider or the marketplace or whatever uh, in-network type situation. Mm -hmm. And folks are just not willing to do a, you know, a collection for $10 and get paid for it for mm -hmm. several months later. Right, right. Especially for all that goes into it. Um, that makes sense. So uh, what do you see as our greatest upcoming challenges in the industry? Oh, you know, from, I, you know, the whole marijuana thing is just kind of a persistent thing that kind of keeps changing a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, I, I, for regulated testing, I'm a firm believer that they're going to keep that on the panel. I just mm -hmm. cannot envision a, a uh, politician voting to remove that with the mm -hmm. understanding that the first time there's a airplane crash and somebody tests positive mm -hmm. for marijuana, that is going to be, you know, up in the next election ad against Right, them. right. <laughs> you know, exactly. Uh, that that's just how I see it playing out. And I certainly very well could be wrong about that, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I suspect that there's going to be the, at some point explicit marijuana legalization. Mm -hmm. um, it, we're already pretty much there, I guess, <laughs> uh, you know, a de facto legalization, but um, I'm not saying that that's a great thing. Um, just just like anything else you know yeah alcohol still it's legal and it's still a, a, a very problematic in in our yeah. uh, society mm -hmm. so um mm -hmm. most of this i think is probably the folks you know that are the independent folks out there that are trying to figure out a way to uh build a sustainable business beyond themselves just working more hours mm -hmm. you know um it's very hard to put food on the table, you know, put your mm -hmm. kids through college if you're um, being, you're not being able to um, set your own prices per se mm -hmm. and um, feel like you're, you know, you have to just do more of the same to, mm -hmm. to, um, to, to generate a business. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing a lot of people are wrestling with is, you know, how do I make money with not working myself to death? Mm -hmm. so. You know what? I, I, I think that's, yeah, a, a huge commonality in our industry um, for the small businesses big time. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you see on the horizon that is exciting um, coming down the pipe? I mean, I, I'm excited about DOT oral fluid testing just in regards to, <clears throat> you know, people can get out there and do mobile collections with no, uh, bathroom and without making some of those common errors. Of course, I'm sure we'll always find some other ways to make errors. But um, what do you what do you see coming down the pipe or um, you know trending that that makes you go you know this is going to change things and be exciting? I think that the oral fluid testing would be great for post accident situations where you mm -hmm. can have that essentially put into the uh, the cab. Or in, you know, like they used to have with the cameras and all that, mm -hmm. the disposable cameras for the post-accident situations. Mm -hmm. um, that's exciting. I think that there's um, some um, modernization issues uh, that are happening. I am have mixed feelings about the clearinghouse. Mm -hmm. I wish um, the clearinghouse 
regulators would allow uh, some of these third parties to help uh, employers navigate the sign-up process and the, the querying through either allowing us, for example, to buy queries and just resell mm -hmm. them or to do some sort of automated interface so that when you're ordering a pre-employment uh, FMCSA drug test that you can just say, oh, with the same information, upload that to the clearinghouse mm -hmm. and have it checked off and make certain it gets done rather than having to finagle and, and you know, manage inboxes of paper and, and, and emails and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, and you did ask a few weeks ago on the webinar um, specifically, will there be a point at, in the future? I, I was like, I'm an AA dean. <laughs> um, where I, that's the, like my middle name for them, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, where um, TPAs can purchase the queries and the answer was no, that will not happen. And that really surprised me. I thought, it, I thought the response might be, you know, we'll think about it or we'll discuss it or we are talking about it or we'd like to hear why this is beneficial, but it was like, oh no. And I think, you know, one of the things, things that I really believe, and I have a great um, relationship as, as does Indesa with our, mm -hmm. our friends on the federal side. So this is not any way, shape or form a slam. It's just the reality of the fact that the way that um, DOT testing, federal testing has been set up. I think there's much more of an assumption that the employer is really engaged in this, really on compliance, really knows 49 part 40. Because 49 part 40 always points back to the DER or the employer for being responsible for everything, there's this assumption that they're on it and they are responsible for everything. What is your experience with how informed and engaged DERs are on the ground? Uh, well, we deal with literally thousands of owner operators mm -hmm. and that is as stark a contrast from what you just described <laughs> there. You know, they're, and, and they're, they're, they're business people, they're, their business is to move things from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And they have all these other compliance issues that they're right. trying to meet. And we are trying to help them. But, you know, mm -hmm. getting them signed up on the FMCSA portal and then linking that with the clearinghouse and going through the login things, we have to sit there and handhold them. It's mm -hmm. a 20 to 30 minute process to mm -hmm. get that one person signed up. Mm -hmm. And then they have to remember to buy enough credits for us to run the queries mm -hmm. <laughs> on their behalf, mm -hmm. behalf because they're required to have somebody else do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, it, you know, that's really the, I, I think that that kind of gets left off to the side as opposed to somebody in FMCSA clearinghouse like J.B. Hunt or Knight Swift, you know, who has a whole bevy of safety professionals. You can have somebody that's, you know, specializes in a certain subsection mm -hmm. <laughs> of right. the drug testing requirements. So, and, and then you have the person over here that's just hours of service rules, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and then you have your regional safety managers that do all the training and such. And mm -hmm. so I would love to be able to help provide these smaller companies. We spend a lot of time with these smaller companies mm -hmm of trying to help them maintain compliance right. in an easy as, and, and thorough as possible way 
Um, and I know that there are tons and tons of folks that are in that same space of helping, Absolutely. you know, the guys that are farmers that have, you know, a, a couple trucks that they use to at harvest time that are moving up and down the road. You know what, I, um, we were we were managing a consortium up in the um, North Midwest. It was like a tri-state thing. Mm -hmm. And this this was a couple of years ago, not 10 years ago, not five years ago, okay? So it was sooner than that. And I'm calling these guys um, to, because we haven't heard from them, their name's in the pool, we're trying to get them in for their testing. And mm -hmm. you, what you just said is exactly right. It was a farmer who came in off the field the phone number I was calling was a wall phone in his kitchen. If I didn't get him at night after he came in off the field, they would say, I don't carry a cell phone and I never will. I don't have a fax machine and I will never have one. I don't have a computer. I don't have an email. So you had to reach them on that wall phone in the kitchen when they got out of the field to get them in for the random drug test. And then as, if anything went wrong with the test, you had to call them back. Good luck trying to get them on the phone in, you know, in the allotted amount of time. I mean, it was, yeah, this, this is um, something that, that we don't all have perspective of. So here's a question that, that I have for you. And this has come up a couple of weeks on town hall, but um, you were honeymooning. So I'll give you some grace that you weren't there. Um, so we've had, it's, it's almost like this rash of collection sites canceling tests and i mean the collector canceling a test because the the collection site will say um well this don't this donor came in it's almost always fmcsa so i know their owner operators this donor came in for their test it was a shy bladder uh, we told them to wait in the waiting room they walked out to smoke a cigarette or take a phone call and we walked out told them the test was canceled they had to leave what I am hearing from the TPAs, because these are third-party collection sites that are out and about, you know, they're mm -hmm. being used for the collection only. Um, the TPAs are calling me, you know, what do we do? In many cases, the collection site never started a chain of custody form. You can already see we have like six problems going on here. So the collection site mm -hmm. never started a chain of custody form. So it's their word against the driver as to if anything ever even progressed that far. So there's no documentation. Um, and when the collection site is asked if they notified the driver of whether or not they needed to stay, you know, mm -hmm. um, in that observed space um, during the shy bladder, um, they, they will say, yes, I told them the drivers are swearing up and down. I, I've never heard of that before. I never had a shy bladder. I didn't know. Um, so I actually had a conversation with Odapsy about this. And of course, there's like I said, not setting up the chain in the very beginning, not instructing mm -hmm. the donor, the collection site calling the refusal instead of the employer. I mean, there's so many things going wrong here, but because you work with so many owner operators, this is the question I'm asking you. How likely do you think it is that these donors have no idea the rules about shy bladder and they really sincerely, they don't know and don't understand and if we don't take the time to tell them, they are going to make a mistake like that. Uh, I would, I would wager money on it. Mm -hmm. And I don't gamble, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, a lot of the owner operators we deal with are not, um, you know, native born United States citizens. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of folks that are immigrants, mm -hmm. um, speak Spanish, um, Punjabi, speak Chinese, Russian. And, 
you know, that's their primary language. So then you have another complication of trying to explain something that native English speakers uh, struggle to grasp with all these intricate rules about, you know, what's a shy bladder and how much did they have to drink over what period of time and all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's plenty of errors with that. So mm -hmm. if you're trying to deal with that with somebody that's uh, doing this because they have to in order to maintain their license and they show up one time a year at best mm -hmm. and then they have a shy bladder, which is the first time they've ever encountered this. Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a rife for problems. Mm -hmm. And um, so I can only imagine uh, how, how many go right in that situation. We have so many things stacked against you. Mm -hmm. so. It's so true. And uh, that is always my first question is, was the donor educated and informed about the situation? And I hear all the time, um, well, they said that, um, you know, they let them know, but the donor is going, no, 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 I never heard that. I, I would have never stepped out. There was no reason for me to do that. I just, you know, <clears throat> didn't know it was a rule. Um, and then, like and, I and mentioned. I'm sure that there's some times where the owner operators are trying to, or, or other, the donors are trying to cover their tracks. Oh, sure, you know, sure. That can also the truth happen. Is somewhere in the middle, right? Yes. <laughs> the truth is somewhere in the middle for sure. Um, but I will say, and maybe this is my own prejudice that I shouldn't have, but when we've had so many steps go wrong on the collection side at this point in time, I'm mm -hmm. far more liable to believe the donor than I am the collector, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> and, you know, mm -hmm. and that's probably not okay. But really, if you didn't follow these steps over here, then why should I believe you followed that step over there? And honestly, I mm -hmm. think if you were sitting in court, that's what a judge would say. You know, I think that's, that's what a judge would say is if, if you did all of these other things wrong, then, then why should this donor have a refusal in the clearinghouse when you don't have any other proof to back you up? I think that would be a, a very awkward situation to be put in. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. So following the steps and whatnot. So do you, um, do you provide some type of training for those owner operators? How do you educate them? We have uh, some online uh, training options that are available. Not super enthusiastic about most of them, to be mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'm expecting too much. I don't know. But mm -hmm. Um, we try to reach out to them, uh, you know, obviously when we have the collection site that we've selected for them, we have, um, our contact information on there as the TPA and hopefully they have that in hand. So they know to call us if there's a problem, we try mm -hmm. to say, if there's any question, call us, email us, text us, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and we will, you know, try to walk you through the rules and mm -hmm. hopefully, um, we really do try to communicate with them. We have a number of folks that on staff. We have folks that speak Spanish and we have um, French, Portuguese. Um, wow. We had a Russian speaker for a while. That person left. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we try to speak, try to handle that in as many ways we can. Um, and obviously we try to make certain they can get back to the same person. Uh, mm -hmm. to continue the conversation rather than, you know, just wait on hold, get the next person who sure, has sure. to restart the whole conversation. 
Wow, um, that that's very forward thinking of you. And I love having that information and knowledge um, so that when we have people that have those language challenges, we know there's a resource. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that came up today. Okay, so we always have to ask this question. Um, tell me about one of the most ridiculous um, experiences you have had in your time in drug testing that you went, nobody will ever believe this happens. And if I ever write a book, this is one that's going in. Mm -hmm. Everyone says that I could write a book and we never do. Um, but what is one of the, the craziest things you've ever encountered uh, in your time in the industry? For drug testing, I've got plenty of background screening stories. Uh, drug mm -hmm. testing, I guess, probably the one would be that comes to mind at first would be we had a, a gentleman come in for a, um, a direct observation test. Um, he was on a follow-up schedule. Mm -hmm. And um, they came in and went through the whole process. And then when they were cleaning up afterwards, they noticed that the chair he was sitting in, there was a large Ziploc bag under his chair with mm -hmm. a large... A uh, ball of white substance in it, <laughs> and so we had to call the police and the hazmat team because mm -hmm. you know, there was a reasonable suspicion there of what it was. And yes, in fact, tested out as crack cocaine. Oh wow! So, <laughs> wow! <laughs> that's that's pretty. I don't even know how to characterize that of right. bringing a a large uh, serving of crack cocaine to a direct observation direct. test. Yes, exactly. And then kind of ditching it in your chair. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. I've never of, heard that right. one before. <laughs> no, that was that was interesting. Okay, yeah. we do have a lot of people who do background checks. So, what's your best background check story? Oh, this was a, um, a guy that had uh, retired from the military. He was ex-Special Forces, and he was mm -hmm. going to be a private contractor overseas. Mm -hmm. And um, as part of the, the process, we have to do a background screening before they submit it for a secret clearance. And we came up with a, um, a drunk driving conviction uh, oh. down in uh, Georgia, and he's like, there is no way that could be uh, because I was on duty. And I was like, uh, well, it's your name, your social security number, your date of birth, mm -hmm. you know, your, your middle name, um, got your picture here. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and it's like, you know, eventually we're getting phone calls from places that have, you know, uh, you can't call back, I guess mm -hmm. is probably the best way to, I'm talking mm -hmm. to officers and such. And eventually mm -hmm. we found out that he was overseas in some undisclosed place during that time. Mm -hmm. And his twin brother had been arrested for oh. drunk driving and gave his, his other brother's name. And oh my <laughs> gosh. And oh. I'm sure that was an awkward conversation when you have a, a Navy SEAL come back home to talk to your uh, twin no brother. No kidding. I bet, yeah, I bet uh, some punches were thrown. <laughs> oh yes, my but that gosh. took a, wow. a couple weeks to sort out, you know, right. of what the heck happened because all the documentation was tight mm -hmm. and, you know, it was just two realities colliding and it's like, mm -hmm. well, what's going on? What's going and on so. <laughs> you know, um, I was I was doing a background check one time, and I saw some clear evidence of identity theft. Mm 
And, um, you know, we see that. And so we let the individual know that this is a possibility their social security number has been compromised. And so um, I, a couple of weeks later, I was talking to my sister about it and just, you know, like, wow, because I was pretty new to the job at that time. I'm like, I didn't know I would actually see that. And wow, that was a real thing. And it got her thinking. And so she checked her, um, she did a credit check on herself and come to find out her social security number had been stolen and was being used widely in another state by about three different individuals who were all connected. They shared, a, they shared a surname and they were just going wild using her social security number. And she knew that her credit had taken a hit, but she just had not paid attention or, you know, she thought, well, it's those student loans or whatever. And in reality, her credit wasn't as bad as she thought it was when she got it cleaned up. <laughs> but well, it's, it's, a painful a process. It is, yeah. but yeah, that's a whole new level right there. That's crazy. Um, so on, on your paperless drug testing platform, is it integrated with the background checks or is it only for the TPA like random draws? So the, the platform itself uh, integrates with TASWorks, which is a major uh, SaaS background platform. Mm -hmm. So we can um, order uh, tests and have reports sent back and forth. Um, and so we connect to, I think, six or seven labs currently. So uh, Omega and Psychomedics beyond the typical Quest, LabCorp, Allaire, Abbott, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. um, and um, CRL, I, did I forget to mention them? So, mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there's some more labs that we are talking to. Uh, trying to get them integrated also and you know we uh, would like at some point to you know have an alternative eccf product out there that would be workable you know in an offline situation mm -hmm. but that's all up to the regulators if they're going to allow that or not so sure. it's kind of a question sure so. sure well that's that's fabulous it's really a robust program it sounds mm -hmm. like. So that, it's exciting to learn a little bit about this today. So what's your next exciting adventure? Oh, putting a kid into college. Yeah. So <laughs> we're doing college visits right now. And so that's wow. a, an experience. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, um, it's uh, exciting and scary at the same mm -hmm. time. It's sure. one of those situations where uh, you're going there and the kids fall in love with it and you're looking at different things than the kids are. Obviously, yes. <laughs> not knowing what the end price is going to be on anything. It's, right. uh, it's a very strange situation. It's like the medical industry, medical right. and education industry. The two things you can't get a clear price on it, any right. kind of service. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to do it. You have no idea what the end result is going to be. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is a lot. You have a lot on your plate um, all the way around, but we really... We appreciate you so much, um, not only for your membership within DESA and your support of the Membership Association, but you are engaged. And it's just, it blows my mind that you're as engaged as you are with everything that you have going on. Um, so I know that that comes as a personal sacrifice to you to, to um, be in town hall and, and um, you know, you help answer questions and provide resources for people. and 
you're one of my go-tos. I'm always so grateful that I'm like, you know what? I need this person to call Dean today. <laughs> well, that is because I have a great staff and a, a great wife that support me in all the other parts of my life. So Fabulous. I am enabled and blessed to, uh, you know, help share sure. a little bit of, of uh, opinions that I have or, or knowledge I have. Mm -hmm. So. Well, that's, that's wonderful. And that says it all, really. If you've got that strong team, um, then the, the owner, CEO can get out there and do what they're supposed to do. So um, it's, it's just great. Well, listen, um, thank you so much for giving us your time today. I'm so glad that um, of the choices you had, you came with Indesa because you've enriched us. And um, I hope that you get the same in return. But uh, it's been fun talking to you. And we look forward to talking to you again in the future, Dean. All right. Well, we hope to see everybody again in what, Indianapolis is it? That's right. right? Indianapolis right. in May. Yep. All right. We'll see you there. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Indesa Members Memo. Subscribe to hear all of our podcasts and join Indesa to access all of our professional industry resources. Visit us at ndasa.com.